You're listening to the private podcast for The Matrix with Amber Smith. Welcome to The Matrix Call Wednesday edition. I'm really excited. As always, this is like interactive. Because it is like a presentation, I don't always see the chat right away, but I do like when you guys put questions in, so feel free to do that. I mentioned it a little bit before I started recording, but a one-person business, I think, is a really unique thing that is happening in different industries. Obviously, for coaches, like most coaches run a one-person business. I think there's a lot of cool perks and challenges as well. And I'm going to talk about what I believe are like five principles that makes a one-person business work. Some of these things, you'll hear it in a way that I've discussed before. And some of it is like the same idea said in a different way. And I'm hoping it's just like kind of making this cohesive understanding of like how to do what you do and make money doing it in a way that you like. So let's jump in. First thing I wanted to share was this quote from Dan Coe. He's like a writer, I would say, in a social media presence. If you don't follow him, I really like it. He doesn't really talk about coaching per se, but he talks a lot about one-person businesses. And so I stole this quote from him. He says, your future isn't about competition with others. It's about competition with your distracted mind, meaning an exceptional future belongs to those who can master their survival, pursue their genuine curiosity, and pass down what they learned. I thought that was a really beautiful way of expressing what coaches do. So improve yourself. Number two, solve your own problems. Number three, master your survival. Number four, document your journey. Number five, pursue your curiosity and separate yourself from the crowd. I was like, that is what we do as a one-person business. For most of you, what you're coaching on, you once struggled with. And I think that's such a cool model because it goes beyond theory. It goes to personal experience and like nuance. People can calibrate to your growth. I just think it's a really cool system. And so the one-person business, this is like what I think of. It's like you improve yourself, you learn something from solving your own problems and you pass it down. I think a lot of people get stuck on like separate yourself from the crowd. Like I need to be distinct. I need to be different. But no one has had your journey and your story, which is what makes you unique. And so just being you is unique enough. <laughs> so let's jump into principle number one. Add relevant value consistently over time. I think value, you've heard like add more value, add more value. And I want to break down what that actually means because I think it could be like, I need to post more content. It's like, maybe, maybe we want to post more content. But I think in general, it goes beyond just like posting content. Always be a student and then you share what you learn. You synthesize lessons from different sources and you curate knowledge for others. I think one of the big pitfalls that I hear and see is like, I need to be so unique. My value needs to be like original. And I always laugh because I'm like, do you think I'm original? Like I just shared like Dan Coe's quote about one person business. Do you know what I mean? I see myself as like a curator for knowledge and I synthesize lessons from different sources. So instead of making that a problem, like, oh, I need to come up with my own way of saying it. It's like, well, what if I studied recently that I could share with other people that adds value? I did want to share Alex Hermosi's value equation because it's like, what is value? And so I really like how he breaks it down. Dream outcome times perceived likelihood of achievement divided by time required times effort required. So it's like you want to decrease the bottom. We want to decrease the time it takes for our clients to get what they want. We want to decrease the effort it takes for them to get what they want. And we want to increase their ability to get their dream outcome and their belief that they can have it. That's value. So we can do that with content, solving a problem in your content, 
helping them tools, hacks, new knowledge, right? So we can shorten the time that they get to where they want to go or the effort it takes to get to where they want to go. Other ways that I think about it as like a business mentor is like, can I help my clients avoid the mistakes that I made, right? And for a lot of you, because like we talked about in the beginning, what you're teaching and coaching on, you once struggled with. And so if you can help people avoid making mistakes or taking longer than you took, that's how we add value. And so to go back to this little slide, that's how we do that. Because you are reading books, showing up to a call like this, reading blogs, listening to podcasts, doing your own work to get yourself results, you can synthesize or curate everything that you're learning and present it in a way for people to get what they want without more sacrifice and without more time or more effort. It's like, I did the work so that this is easy for you. That's what actually value is. And you can do that in lots of different ways. Said another way, how can you help people get what they actually want by helping them first believe it's possible and eliminate as much effort and sacrifice as possible on their part? The other thing that I like to think about is what do you already know that you can share with others? I think it could be so easy to get lost in the sea of content of like trying to like develop, you know, this most original idea or like the most profound or like saying in a way that's never been said before. But I really think content is easy when you realize how much you already know and you're already learning, and then you're just synthesizing it and sharing it with people in the hopes that it helps them. Another question that I like to consider is like, what have I already shared with a client or a friend this week in private that I can just create content about to share in public? Some of you guys have probably seen this, like we coach on it and you see me post about that same concept. It's because it helps my brain not have to reinvent the wheel over and over and over again as I'm trying to add value. Principle number two, the person obsessed with their craft wins. And I break this down this is not just like a coaching craft. This is also your marketing craft. So I break it down into external and internal. I'm going to give you an example. Who would you rather hire? The surgeon who checked the boxes to graduate from school, right? The person who just did what was required and got certified. Or the surgeon who is obsessed with their work, attends continuing education, practices relentlessly. Like they're in like the lab, like practicing their stitches, studies different techniques for others. They mentor other people. And it's world-renowned for the specific surgery you need. Like, it's obvious. You want the person who's obsessed with their craft. And as coaches, we have two types of craft. I say it's twofold. The external is the free value you add to the world, aka marketing, the content you publish, the podcast you're on, the trainings you host, the conversations you have with people before they're a client, and then the internal, the value you add for paying clients. I think your craft is both. I was just in a conversation with someone who's like frustrated because they feel like they're a really good coach. It's actually my dad's friend. And he's frustrated because he's a little older. And he was like, I feel like I'm a really good coach. I've had a lot of training, a lot of experience. But on social media, I just don't feel like I'm getting the traction. And in my head, I was like, I talk to my clients about this all the time. That marketing is part of what we do. And I think the people who win are really great at both of these. Good at adding value to the world for free, aka posting content, podcasts, whatever. And actually what you do within your paying clients. I think if you have both, like you are a craft person. Another way to say it, the external is what the world sees. The internal is what your clients experience. And I think both are valuable. Becoming a better coach that when you actually have paying clients, you know how to deliver value and get them results, but also like how you help people for free. I think it's such a powerful way to see marketing. It's like my social media, my podcasts, my emails, my consultations with people who never pay me, like what the world sees is also part of my craft. In fact, I attended the event with Alex Ramosi 
don't know if you guys saw it. It's like a huge $100 million lead, like whatever. And he talked about how your clients will judge you on your free value. Like your reputation is built on what you share for free. And so I think it's really important to consider that your craft is not just coaching your client. It's also like how you create content, the kind of powerful messaging and ability you have to help people get results before they ever pay you. I think that's part of our job. This is a question I actually really love. If you could only send clients, if they asked you about your offer, what kind of value would you add in your content for trainings and conversations? Like if you couldn't promote your offer, you had to wait for someone to ask you, what kind of value would you add? What kind of posts would you make? How detailed would you go into your podcast or a conversation with people or DMs with people? It's a really powerful question to consider. This is what I think it means to add value. And bonus is like, we get to talk about our offers, right? We get to market, we get to make invitations. But if you couldn't, and you could only serve someone so powerfully that they asked you, like, how do I keep working with you? What does it look like to, like, could I hire you? Think about the kind of value you'd have to add. That's the kind of value I think we need to be creating in a very busy, busy marketplace. And then the other thing that I've been thinking a lot about is like, slow down to speed up. I think the fast pace, like get rich quick idea, you guys know I don't believe in it, but I think... It feels weird to slow down to add value. I actually was just talking to a client about this yesterday about beginning of my business was so slow because the value I was adding was deep with people. It was like getting on calls, sending books, sharing podcast episodes that I thought would be helpful, creating my own content. It felt very slow, but the compound effect of actual value, stuff that actually changes my client's life, not just me being busy, but something that's actually valuable for my people it compounds over time where it goes farther. So depending on where you're at in your business, slowing down to speed up, it might feel almost triggering to you. Like, well, I'm used to posting regularly. I'm used to kind of like just throwing out an offer and seeing what will happen if my clients like it or not. But slowing down where you're adding more of this kind of value where like, if I couldn't talk about my offer, what ways would I serve them so much that they asked to work with me? It's slow. But I think especially if you're wanting one-on-one clients or small group, like, this is what it takes because it's busy. Like our marketplace is busy, right? You're not the only person that your clients are learning from, which is good. So why would they hire you? There's resonance. There's personal touch. They feel like you know them and they know you. I always use the example of like, I wouldn't necessarily hire Tony Robbins. One, I don't have a million dollars to spend on my own coaching, but like also he just doesn't resonate for me as a one-on-one coach. That's good information for you to know too, because even if your clients are following bigger accounts, What you have requires you to slow down and serve them is your advantage as a one-on-one coach or like a small group. And so adding more value doesn't mean publishing more content. Sometimes I think quality and quantity are two different ways to add value. I think the quality of value is our superpower as coaches who have time to serve people one-on-one. So use it. I follow some people who it's like they post like three times a day. And I'm like, that's awesome. But they don't necessarily resonate with me because we're not actually having a conversation where like I can actually talk to them. But that's what we can deliver for our clients. We can actually talk to them. And that is our advantage. So use it. Principle number three, the person who believes outperforms the skeptic every time. I've had a lot of those conversations. I don't know how much you guys are following. Like, there's like a lot of skepticism about coaching. Hopefully you're not in the rabbit hole. But I wanted to speak to this because I think It's easy to believe what other people are saying or worry that like maybe you're not in integrity or that something's missing. But I really think the person who believes in coaching and in the industry will outperform the skeptic every time because you are going to stay in belief 
So you're staying in service. You're focusing on the clients that you can serve. And so I think it's really important that you nurture your belief about what you do in the industry you represent instead of feeling your skepticism. One of the things that I'm always mindful of is like, is this person that I'm listening to or reading getting me closer to where I want to go? And so if you notice that you're reading a blog that's skeptical about coaching, is that helping you build your coaching business? No, right? We need to nurture the belief that we want and that gets us closer to the results that we're working towards. I don't want to say a ton because I don't want to be a negative Nelly, but just notice like when your brain is like, I don't know if this is working. Like that's the real time example of what I'm talking about. Like, I don't even know if I actually help people. It's easy to think that it's just like you're being honest with yourself about what's true. But what I want you to see is like, that's a nurtured belief. Practicing the belief that I know I help people. I know coaching changes lives. One of the words that I like to use is like being in the miracle of coaching, that coaching is a way to serve really well. That's a belief that we have to nurture. And so I think the people who build successful one-person businesses are obsessed with nurturing that belief and then they start seeing evidence of it, right? It's like that self-fulfilling prophecy. And so if you feel like you've been out of sorts, like, I don't know if this is working. I don't know if my clients get results. Like start with your belief and the craft, like we talked about, like improving your ability to coach, improving your ability to market and create content and serve. But I think it starts with what we believe. Principle number four that I want to talk about is to choose digital leverage. All of you guys probably found me, maybe not all of you, but most of you found me through something digital, my podcast, my social media, maybe someone shared a post or like you saw me on video somewhere. I don't even know. But I think digital leverage is a really powerful way that you can work once and get results from it over and over again. If I create one podcast, hundreds and thousands of people can listen to that one podcast. That's leverage. I want to speak to what I think most of you guys should do. And I say should kind of laughing because you guys know I don't actually use that word like you should do this. But I think what would serve you is like pick a platform and post content regularly. Just check in with yourself. Are you doing that? Your body of work will grow. Your thoughts will become clearer and people can see you shining your light, like that lighthouse metaphor that we've talked about. But what's important is that the compound effect is what you're after. I think it's easy to look at one singular post and be like, that didn't work. And I don't think that's a helpful way of seeing digital leverage. If you're committed to growing a body of work, it's not a singular post. It's the relationship that you create with the people who consume your content. That's what we're after who share, who say good things about you, who promote you or refer you without you even knowing it, right? That like when they talk to their friend, they're like, oh yeah, I really liked working with her. She was awesome. That's a compound effect. And so I think the biggest thing I can share here is to commit to the activities, not the outcome. So as an example, when I started my podcast, I just committed to being a podcaster. I didn't really know what the outcome was. I had hopes. I had ideas of what it would be. I had a vision for what I wanted it to become. But I knew to get there, I just had to commit to the activity of recording and publishing a podcast, writing and publishing on social media, writing and publishing an email. So when we talk about commitment, it's not like I'm going to create 5,000 downloads on my podcast. It's I'm committed to publishing a weekly podcast, something that's always within my control. And our effort and our commitment to actually performing, you know, or creating the posts or creating whatever is the activity. The outcome would be like people sharing it, people hiring you from it. But I don't think we actually control that. I think we control the activities that we're committed to. The other thing I wanted to say is that thinking about content you want to create is not as valuable as actually creating the content. Sometimes we get so in our head about saying it the right way that we don't actually create it. Some of you, that won't resonate because you are creating content regularly. But I wanted to say it for people who do struggle to create content consistently, just publish it. You guys know I like always send it. 
<laughs> it's on my computer because sometimes I get in my head and I just have to remember, like, release it, let it out. One of the reasons that I think some people hold on to ideas is like they have idea scarcity. It's like, well, this is a really good idea. Should I save it for my paying clients? Should I save it for a rainy day? And I believe in idea abundance where it's like the more I publish, the more ideas I have. And so I want to be producing and not just mentally working on stuff. Not that we don't want to like develop our ideas and make them the best that they can be. But at a certain point, we have to release it. I've mentioned this book before, but I really love it. It's called The Creative Act, A Way of Being by Rick Rubin. And I really love it. He talks about this like idea that some work takes a long time and that's okay as long as you're not procrastinating or hiding or afraid. You're not hiding your content because you have fear. That's how we know when it's time to release it. It's like, is it time to release it? It could be better. Keep it. I've been working on it. I think it's ready, but I'm afraid. Like it's time to let it go so that it can actually help someone. Like any skill, you improve the more you practice. But I wanted to add a caveat that the masters practice the skill and use feedback to make sure they are practicing the right thing. So it's not just doing it over and over and over again. It's doing it over and over again and noticing, is this getting the results that I want? What can I tweak? What can I improve? This is what kind of goes back to the crafts person. Are you studying copywriting? Are you studying the content creators that you love? Are you even noticing in your own brain? I think a really powerful exercise is just to notice yourself as a consumer. Why did I like that post? Almost like breaking down because if you can study yourself, that's marketing, right? Why did I like that post? Why did I buy that product? And if you could like list out the reasons, you know how to replicate it for your own clients. Why did I hire that coach? Why did I join that program? Why did I share that post on my own stories? And if you can dissect it, it'll give you the clues like how you can make it available for your clients. Because it's not just doing something over and over again. It's doing something over and over again that works. That's mastery. The example that I was talking about yesterday was like, if you were a baseball player and you like practiced the swing, but it was the wrong swing. Let's say you were swinging a baseball bat like a golf club. And you practice that over and over and over again. They're practicing the wrong skill. And so we want to practice the skill over and over again in the right way. This is where I think feedback is important. I want to put a little plug here. Like if you guys want me to look at your stuff, put it in Slack so I can see it. So I can give you feedback. Studying people who write powerful emails. Like I said, like analyzing yourself. Like why did I like that email? How does this person write that is meaningful and intriguing to me? How could I use some of those things in my own writing or my own videos or my own posts so that you're practicing the right thing? Principle number five is to stay in the game until it works. You guys know I'm a big proponent of like, I'm here until it works. I think a lot of success online is literally staying in it when most people quit. I know that's a really unsexy answer, but I've never met an entrepreneur who didn't have a failed launch, at least at some point in their journey or got told no or messed something up. And so failure, falling short, isn't something that you avoid. It's literally part of the path of you becoming the entrepreneur that you want to be. It's not something that goes wrong. It's like literally the way there. I cannot lose if I do not quit is one of those things that like, it feels easy to say when things are going well, but when it's hard, when things do fail or when you do mess up, that's when most people quit. It's like, okay, well, I can't lose if I don't stop. The other thing I wanted to mention is that commitment isn't conditional. Commitment is unconditional devotion to an outcome. You've probably heard this story or a version of this story before, but like I'm a mom and someone asked me like, are you committed to feeding your children? Yes, I am. I will do anything to feed my children. 
But what's interesting is commitment in business. It's like, well, I'll do it until I have to be uncomfortable or I have to fail publicly or I have to try something that makes me really nervous or I have to do something and people will like witness me in public sharing that I'm a coach or that I have this offer and no one bought or whatever. But commitment is like that unconditional devotion to an outcome that you've chosen that is meaningful to you. And so if you have this idea of like being fully booked or hitting a milestone in business, commitment to that means you will do whatever it takes. And I don't mean like even hustling or overworking. It's just like, are you willing to try something new? Are you willing to get creative? Are you willing to ask for support until you get the result that you want? And I think this is a huge hack for people is actually checking in with yourself. Are you committed? I think most of you are, but I think it's easy to see business goes like this, right? Like it's up and down on the way up. And in the down moments, that's where our commitment is challenged. For me, I have a lot of faith in myself because I just know my commitment is no matter what. So when I fail, it's not that I don't have feelings like sadness or disappointment. It's just part of the path. It's part of the game or it's part of the tapestry that I'm building or weaving to use the right verb there. But it is unconditional. It doesn't matter what circumstances arise or where I fall short or when it doesn't go as planned, I'm committed. And I think that is the secret to people who make it, is that they were just committed through the ups and downs. It's not that they didn't feel emotions, but they weren't swayed. Their action didn't change. They kept showing up. So to recap, this is what I believe are the five principles of a prosperous one-person business. You add relevant value consistently over time. We talked about what value actually is. Value is not just sharing your offer. That's part of adding value. But to me, adding value is that question that I asked. If I could not talk about my offer and I had to serve them so powerfully, they wanted to know how we could work together, what would I create for them? What would I say? How much would I show up for them? And for the most part, if you remember a few months ago, we talked about friction versus flow. For one-on-one clients, there's a lot of friction. It means like DMs, talking to real people, not just publishing content that has relatively little friction. It's actually sending, I still do this. I still have a one-on-one practice. I still send books to people that I've had consults with years ago. I still send podcast episodes to people that I'm thinking of. I still DM people on social media, like my 15-minute marking in a day or whatever. Like I still do that because I know that one-on-one relationships are built in a certain way, and that has a lot of personal connection. That's adding relevant value, as well as publishing content in my podcast and sending emails. It's both. Second thing we talked about is to be the craft person, internal and external. If you ever get tripped up with marketing, like I really like the idea like marketing is just adding value for people who aren't paying you. That was helpful for me. Part of what I do is serving my paid clients in my containers. And part of what I do is publishing incredible free content for people. That's my craft. And so the more obsessed you are with the craft, I think the easier it is for people to be drawn to you because they can tell like you're serious, but also like you have what it takes to actually help them. The surgeon example we talked about. What kind of surgeon would you want? What kind of coach would you want? Do you want a coach that checks the boxes and is like, here I am? Or who is like obsessed with their craft? The third thing we talked about is don't be a skeptic, but to nurture your belief in yourself and the industry you represent. I feel strongly about this. It's like, if you want to make the industry better, we have to take that upon ourselves to make it better. And just notice as you're consuming content, is this piece of content helping me get closer to where I want to go? Or is it making me doubt myself? Like I was talking to someone the other day, they were talking about coaching versus therapy and how coaches like are quasi-therapists or whatever. And I was like, okay, like I hear that. Is that helping you believe more in what you do or is that making you believe less in what you do? 
Because I think there's a difference between being anti-something and pro-something. So if you want to be pro-coaching industry, do your best. Become the best kind of coach you can and represent the industry in an ethical, awesome way. But don't let skeptics get you down. It's almost like an intellectual exercise. Like it makes you question yourself. And I'm just really mindful of the things I let into my head. So I wanted to share that with you guys so that you're nurturing the right kinds of beliefs in yourself in the industry that you want to represent. The fourth thing we talked about is choosing digital leverage. It compounds in your favor. We also talked about committing to the activities and not the outcomes, committing to creating awesome content, committing to having conversations, committing to sending emails, whatever it is. We're not committing to the outcome or committing and being unconditionally devoted to the activities that creates the results over time. And then the fifth one is to stay in the game until it works. I understand a lot of these. It's like, okay, it seems easy. But one of the things that I wanted you to check in with yourself is like, are you actually doing this? One of the things that I'm always mindful of myself is it's so easy to turn to a podcast and it's almost like being in motion. You're consuming content, you're on social media, maybe you're even posting and like you're doing it and you're in motion. But I think it, that slowing down to speed up is so important. Are you really living these things? If you're not, you can choose to change as soon as you get the awareness of it. Most of these things are easy to do and easy not to do. I actually had a client who's a fitness coach and she gave me that line. It was so powerful. She's like, well, for my clients, it's easy to do, but it's also easy not to do. So they just don't do it. And I think that is the tipping point. Like it's easy not to send five DMs. It's easy to not post. It's easy to post. But are you doing the things that actually move your business forward? And then that compounds over time. That's the secret sauce. It's not sexy. I think the belief work, believing in potentiality and possibility is awesome. And there's like little things like this that just moves the needle enough for things to actually change. I think one of the sad truths is that most people are not successful in our industry. I think that's sad that it's not talked about, but it's just true. There's more coaches that are struggling than coaches who aren't. I want you to be on this side where you're not struggling. And these are the little things that if you just commit to it over and over and over again, come back to it, come back to the commitment as many times as it takes to get the results you want, you will be successful. I wanted to open it up to questions. What came up for you? How can I support you? What questions do you have? Where are you feeling resistance or feeling stuck? Did anything come up as you were listening? I guess I can go. Okay. So it's creating the valuable content. Because I feel like I've been showing up. I am less triggered. Good. Because that pressuring that all my clients have to come from Instagram, whatever. And I feel like... I play showing up playful, somewhat serious in between. So I mostly do reels, randomly some posts. And I know when you talked about that thought reversal, is this basically like how you can make it valuable, like constantly going ahead? Because like on one hand, I guess maybe I'm okay, like be yourself, use yourself as avatar and, you know, bring it there. And then on the other hand, well, don't speak like that because this is too coachy or whatever else in between. Your people don't speak like that. <laughs> and then I'm just like, okay, well, I'm just going to do this. Sounds good to me. Maybe like that's where I'm stuck. I still don't quite know like how to make really valuable content. So what I would say is like the most important thing is just to start publishing. So the fact that you're actually creating content is step one. Making it better is step two. So we don't want to stop step one to try to get to step two. So don't stop publishing even if you're trying to create more valuable content, kind of content I think you're wanting to. I know I mentioned this, but 
have you dissected like why do you consume the content that you do? Well, I like your content because it's like thought provoking. It speaks my language or the language I'm speaking right now. And it excites me and inspires me mostly. Yeah. I want more of that. (laughs) So you don't even have to use my content as an example, but even like the way I write. But here's where I get tripped over because this is my belief. So it's all about belief. So that coaches are, it's like a different world of people. And so to speak, normal people, like they don't have that commitment perhaps and devotion and kind of like see that opportunity and future. And I guess that's where I have to close the gap for them, like (laughs) show it to them, the opportunity. So I feel like, yeah, it's probably my belief just like, well, for this type of group of people. I feel like I would love to serve entrepreneurs, but I don't necessarily do like the strategy part. So that's not where I would shine the light. Well, here we go. I'm saying I don't know. No, I'm confusion free. I know I have not a good belief. Yeah. So one of the first things I'm going to challenge you to do is release your judgment of your current audience. How do you know they don't speak the same language as you? Well, because I don't really get any interactions. Like, yeah, if I sometimes go and look at my reels and the numbers, like the numbers are there, but I don't have any comments or questions or any of that feedback on which I can say like, oh, okay, at least I have someone who is like interested and they engage. So usually it's just, although those other coaches... (laughs) (laughs) or other people that I block out. So I'm not sure maybe like Instagram doesn't like me to block out. I don't know, like from that technical perspective, block out a lot of who I think, no, you're not supposed to be here. (laughs) And maybe that's true, but maybe it's not. I think judging our audience is something I'm always mindful of. Like if I say something like, well, they don't really get it. Is that how I want to see my audience? No, I want to believe they're powerful, that they're geniuses. So I speak to them that way. Aside from that, like the first one that popped in my head is Mel Robbins. Like she's not really for entrepreneurs. She's more of like a life coach. You might get someone like that. Like how does she speak to clients who aren't entrepreneurs? And you might pattern her language and that's okay. You might also look at a reel that she does and a reel that you do. Like why was hers more compelling than yours? And not in a way that like makes you feel bad, just like a curiosity. Like how did she write? How long was the video? I hired my friend to like audit my social media and she talks about like reels are short it's kind of like choppy like it goes fast and I'm kind of wordy and she's like it's just like one suggestion like there's strategy to it I wouldn't be too concerned with it like I would just aim for like one percent improvement every time you post a reel like did I share a compelling call to action did I ask people to comment on it did I ask (laughs) when they would want to comment yeah I do in the caption whoever reads it so I do ask, but not in the actual reel. Maybe you try it in the actual reel. Some people don't even read the caption on reels. Well, yeah, she speaks with conviction because she's more of an influencer. <laughs> or this is how I see her. Okay. Pick, pick a different life coach that doesn't speak to entrepreneurs. If you don't want to work with entrepreneurs. Yeah, I look at Kristen's reels and stuff. She does yeah. a good job. And she gets comments too. <laughs> That would be something worth, not from a place of judgment of yourself. Like, this is really important. This is about craft work. You're improving your craft as a craft person. You're curious about how to be the best you can be, not because you're not good. That's not where it's coming from. 
Yeah, no, it's from the inspiration. And I even watch my own reels. Like, I feel like I've created some good reels. I actually watch them and I'm like, good job. So like, I guess, yeah, maybe it's the slow part. And one yep. day I'll get that comment or DM or something. I'm proud of myself for showing up and start creating reels and some stuff. And maybe it's just, yeah, like getting those right people. I was going to comment to Jade. A garbage post challenge. I love it. I'm just looking at who's on this particular call. Most of you guys are publishing regularly. So for the people on the call, like, I mean, the garbage post challenge is awesome. I think it's for a certain person who's like not publishing. It gets you from not publishing to publishing. I think for a lot of people, it's moving from I'm publishing and I'm not getting the results I want. That's when skills come in. Sometimes it's like a belief and sometimes it's like really studying copywriting or how did they say this? I read every single line. How did they format it? If you'll notice, like I spread my words out because I know it's readable. I learned that from watching other people. And so I think dissecting, like, why did I read this person and not this person is valuable knowledge for you. And it's like little things. So in copywriting, they do split testing, A, B. And this is where I started learning, like little things can make a huge difference. I actually just did this on my story. I don't know if you guys noticed. I was like, I'm publishing something free. Which one resonates? Because those little nuances can make a huge difference. And so you might just start to notice, I'm going to try it this way and see how it goes. I'm going to put a call to action in the actual reel and see how it goes. Like a scientist. It's a big experiment to see what resonates and what doesn't. All right. Thank you. Well, I know that my people will find it good and interesting. It's just that am I in front of my people? <laughs> well, they're coming. Yeah. And one of the things that for me, there's like a lot of humility, like just because I think something's good, I let my people tell me if this resonates. It doesn't matter if I think it's good. I look at data because I want to create what my people want me to create. Like there's this blend, right? I want to create what I want to create, but I also want to create what resonates. I want the happy medium. So you're looking for the blend where I like what I'm creating and they like it. And they tell me with their likes, with their shares, with their comments, with their purchases. That's how the marketplace tells us they like it. Okay. Thank you. As just like another little piece, like I would just go find some life coaches that you like that aren't selling to entrepreneurs and like, how are they writing? What did their reels look like? How are they catching people's attention? And just be a student, get interested. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. They also have something that came up for them, either from my conversation with Jules or from the presentation or just anything that's you're feeling sticky about. Amber, can you hear me? And hi, Kristen. Hi. I am not able to be on camera right now, but I do have one question that has to do with marketing and media. And I actually had to step out for one second. And so I don't know if you covered this, but I just was wondering, like, what do you feel like is the etiquette for following people? Like I have my coaching account, my coaching Instagram account. What is the etiquette for like people following you and you following people, that kind of thing? Okay. I'm curious what you mean by etiquette. Like, are you sure need to follow people back? Yeah. I'm like, if I want people to follow me, do I need to follow them, you know, with my business account? I guess because I feel like my coaching one, I just would rather not get bogged down because I want to get on there and post. And I don't want to like go through all of these things. Like I just want to kind of keep it a clean where yeah. I just post and respond versus like following all these people. Yeah. So I'm really mindful who I follow because 
when we're on social media, it's interesting because we're a consumer and a creator at the same time, right? We have people we follow and people we've created for. And so I'm really mindful of the people that I follow because like you, I don't want to bog down my feed. I like having people in my feed that are a variety. So I like people having in my feed who I think I could help to just observe. I follow my clients for the most part. And I follow people I meet at like different events so I can see like, what are they struggling with? What are they talking about? Where are they at? I like people who are like my peers, where I see like us as a similar level, as long as it doesn't shut me down. I don't follow people where they get in my head about my stuff, just being really honest. Like I would be like, oh, like they're launching a similar program to me or whatever. And like I found myself mind spinning more than actually creating. And so I just unfollowed the people who made me have mind drama. It was just an easy way to cut out the trauma. And then I follow people who are ahead of me, who inspire me, who give me things to think about, who are aspirational to me, even out of my niche, you know, like it doesn't really matter. I just like reading their stuff. And that's kind of who I follow. I never feel the need to follow someone back just because they followed me. I also don't feel the need to follow people who I think might be a client. I ask myself, who do I need to be that they would want to follow me? Okay, that sounds good. I feel like I don't know that much about it. I'm on Instagram. I've been on Instagram for years, right? So mm-hmm. I guess I feel like I'm a pretty typical user, but I was like, I don't know, like as a business part, like as, should I be like following? I didn't know if I needed to worry about that. Yeah, I would not. I study myself, just like I mentioned, like I think it's really powerful to study yourself as a consumer. When I get a business coach that follows me and sends me a DM, you know the first thing I think? I'm like, they're about to try to sell me something. So I don't do that to anyone because like, I don't want that kind of relationship. That's not how I like to do business. Not that it's bad. And it probably works. It probably is awesome for them. It's just not something that resonates for me. So I don't do that to other people. Does that make sense? Yes. Great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for that question, Kristen. All right. Anyone else? All righty, you guys. Then this is what I'm going to share with you. Last piece of like, take it or leave it. But wisdom. Because I've never cared about metrics like how many followers I have because of the kind of business that I want. So I like knowing the people that are in my groups. Like I know all of you, like that matters to me. I never wanted a program that was like huge. I am not the person who's gonna tell you how to go viral or how to like reach a bajillion followers. Like to me, I care about depth way more than like breadth. And so all of this was taught, I should have put a caveat at the beginning. Like this is to go deep with people. This is how you provide a lot of value as a one person business if you want like, that kind of business. Even Dan Co, who I mentioned at the beginning, has a different business model than me. Like he's got like millions of followers and he sells like a $200 course to thousands of people. He doesn't like talk to you. And so I think knowing what kind of business you want helps inform how you create content. So I create content in the hopes that like we can chat about it in the DMs or that like you feel like you have a relationship with me, which is I think important for you to know like what do you want out of your content? Do you want people to feel like if they read it, they could like send you a private message about it? Those intentions are really powerful. I just wanted to add that because I don't think there's a right or a wrong way to create stuff like this, to create value. But I think knowing what you want from your content is really important. Growing your audience, I think is important, but it doesn't have to be like virality. It doesn't have to be by the thousands. It doesn't have to be exponential, especially if what you want is like a one-on-one client or like a small group. It's just good awareness because I think for me, it cuts out a lot of the drama of like following trends or trying to reach a ton of people, like that might not be the purpose. And it can be equally successful for you to have like a smaller number and that's okay. So I just wanted to put that out there. 
because you might see counterintuitive advice that like goes against what I just shared. But just notice, what are they trying to teach you? Because I remember I used to follow like Reels accounts. Like I was like, oh, like Reels are the future. Like I have to like jump on this trend because no one's going to see my posts. But the business model that he was trying to create was like a scaled where he sold a course to thousands of people. So that makes sense for him. I'm trying to create a very different business model. And so I wanted you to hear that from me so that you know, if you see other advice, it's not necessarily bad. It's just like, what are they trying to create? And does that align with what I'm trying to create? And then get singular focus on like, I'm creating what I want to create and keep a blinders on, okay? Because there's so many different ways to be successful. Like I have a friend who has thousands and thousands and thousands of followers who doesn't make any money because she's trying to do a one-on-one coaching business. There's like this disconnect. Like people feel like they don't have a personal relationship with her. I have a friend who has thousands and thousands of followers and so the course and it works great for her. So it's just like knowing what are you trying to create in this season? What makes sense for you? What do you actually want? And developing a system or a way of creating clients. I don't want to use the word funnel, but like a nurturing experience for clients where they feel like they can come into your world and talk to you. Like that's the whole point of one-on-one coach. So that's the purpose of content, in my opinion. All right, you guys, have a beautiful week. I will see you next Wednesday. Okay, bye.